my name is Kate, and you're listening to episode 30 of The Kate Show. Guys, today I have one of my best friends in real life on the show, and I could not be more excited. You are going to love her because she is smart, she is detail-oriented, and she is going to tell you all about interior design blogging. So let me tell you a little bit more about her. Jacqueline is the founder and lead writer at Ochre and Beige, the only blogging studio that ghostwrites exclusively for interior designers. She believes that given the right tools and approach, anyone can create a design blog that works just as hard as they do for their business. Jacqueline has over seven years of content creation experience, along with a background in design, marketing, startups, tech, business, development, and so much more. She's also known to travel abroad, often in search of design inspiration she can share with her clients. This year's excursions have included central Japan and several countries in Western Europe. If you are interested in hiring Jacqueline to write your design blog, head over to ochreandbeige.com to check out her samples and service packages. Now guys, I know that ochre might be hard to spell, so I'm going to spell this out for you. O-C-H-R-E and then just and beige. I will have all of this information in the show notes, and I will also include the many valuable resources Jacqueline shares with us in the show notes as well. Those show notes can be found at katethesocialite.com, and you can just check out everything related to The Kate Show. All right, guys, without further ado, let's dive into this interview. Welcome to The Kate Show, a weekly marketing podcast for interior designers and home stagers. Hosted by author, entrepreneur, and marketing consultant, Kate the Socialite. Each week, you'll learn helpful tips on how to make social media easier, how to grow your mailing list, and how to simplify every area of marketing and advertising your business. With her blunt, no-fluff approach, Kate stands up for business owners who want real results in their marketing, but have limited time or resources. And now, please welcome your host, Kate the Socialite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Kate Show. As you heard earlier, I have one of my best friends with me today, and I am so excited. So thank you, Jacqueline, for coming on The Kate Show. Of course. I'm so excited. Yeah, and we're going to be talking all about design blogging, which is something that I haven't talked about that much on the podcast before, mainly because it's a service that I don't offer anymore, but that is like the whole foundation of your business, so this is going to be awesome. Let's just start this off with you telling us a little bit about yourself, your education, your entrepreneurial journey, because you have a unique business, you have a unique life situation, so I'll stop talking and let you share. <laughs> um, sure. So as with anyone who has a passion, it probably started young, and mine certainly did, just writing and drawing as a kid. Fast forward 20-something years, I studied design and communication at Stanford. Then I fell into the classic Silicon Valley cliche of joining a tech startup, which really took me away from the things that I loved, but also taught me all things marketing. I really was kind of just thrown into the fire and was like, fail and succeed, fail and succeed until you figure it out. Um, so I did that for a few years, learned how to really grow a company and then I decided it was my turn to do it myself. So I took a risk. I started my own online company, which 
we're talking about now, the uh, blogging for interior designers and home professionals. And it really took me back to writing about things that I truly enjoy, things that bring people joy, which interior design absolutely does. Um, and then I actually took a vacation to Europe, accidentally fell in love, and I haven't left. That was earlier this year, um, which has really opened up a whole new world of design inspiration, actually, which I, I didn't foresee. It was kind of a uh, really a dumb luck thing, but it's so amazing here. There's so many international design fairs that I can go to and even just old European cities that are just amazing. So I've been able to kind of take that accident and wrap it up into my business and to what I can offer clients. So it's really taking me right back to what I absolutely love. And there you have it. That's the journey. And the thing I love about this journey is it really sounds like the plot of a chick flick, like a really <laughs> good one. Because Right. <laughs> You've kind of been through the ringer as far as, you know, working in Silicon Valley and not yeah. everyone can say they've had that experience. I mean, that's kind of intense, but yeah. then your bravery in like going to Europe, moving to Europe, falling in yeah. love in Europe. I mean, who yeah. does that? That's it. <laughs> it. Guys, for everyone listening, I mean, this is what we talk about anytime we get on <laughs> Skype together. I mean, it's just, it is so fun oh to be friends with you, Jacqueline, and watch you, you know, and evolve as a person and watch your business evolve. And, <laughs> and one thing I really have to say, like hats off to you, when you started your design blogging business, you started it with a niche in mind from the very beginning. And I know a lot of business owners try to find that niche after they've started, which is what I did. And mm -hmm. it meant that I had to go back and redo a lot of things. But even down to the name of your business and the design of your website, which is super important since you are totally an online company, I mean, mm -hmm. all of that was done with intention. So would you explain the name of your company and why you chose it? And then just kind of go into a little bit more about what you had to do because you already knew exactly who your, your ideal client was. All right. Um, so the company is called Ochre and Beige. And I really, I knew when I went to think up a name that I wanted to somehow involve color because I'm a little obsessed with color, like unhealthily obsessed. Um, and so I knew I wanted some kind of creative color name, a little off the wall so that people would remember it, um, but, also, but also something that, that was nice, not something too crazy, because at the end of the day, we're not trying to alienate people, we're trying to create something that's welcoming, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where that came from. And then um, as far as knowing the target audience, I think, Kate, I imagine you say this over and over again about knowing your target audience. It's really the same with blogging. You have to know who you're talking to because if you don't know who you're talking to, you don't know what they need. Mm -hmm. And I like you said, a lot of people approach it backwards. They're like, oh, I have this great product. Let me go find the people who need it. But if you're actually building for the people, then you'll find that it's much easier to actually get them to, to come to you. Um, so knowing that, I really just structured all of the, the copywriting, of course, since that's my thing, um, around what small business owners, what people who are interior designers need from their blog. And it comes down to SEO, which we can talk about later. Um, and it comes down to attracting the right person. And it also comes down to really telling your story because a blog's kind of a unique place. It's not, it's not, 
it's a little different from the rest of your website because you can tell a story there. You can kind of get out of the regular box there. And that's what I love to do. Um, of course, you can you do all the SEO stuff as well. But really telling that story is what I wanted to appeal to interior designers so that they know like they don't have to just talk about things that are trending. They can really help their their readers and add value and tell their personal story because they have something unique to offer. So that's that's kind of my mission when I started this this uh, company. And what I really like about this is the fact that you were able to tailor an entire business to the design industry also means that when you are ghostwriting for a design firm, you are then able to basically put on the cloak of their brand and speak directly mm -hmm. to their audience because, as you said, it is so important to know who you're talking to. Otherwise, first of all, you're not going to know what the heck to say. And that's right. why so many people freeze when it comes to blogging because I wish I could remember who said this, but um, a lot of really, really well-known marketers will say, if you are speaking to everyone, you're speaking to no one. And I actually think yeah. that was Marie Forleo who said that. Mm -hmm. But I can totally see how that directly affects your blogging strategy. Right. And I think too, um, one thing that I really like to do is actually get to know my clients because when I've talked to them enough times, I know their personality. And so when I'm writing for them, I'm able to say, oh, would this person say something like this? Or this person be more witty here or would they keep it, keep it more professional, serious? And that kind of thing is something that, that when you are blogging as an interior designer, you can think about, you can add your personality in there. You don't have to try to be super bubbly if that's not your thing. Really embrace, embrace who you are so that it's authentic. Yes. Oh, I love it. So what do you think are the biggest hurdles that prevent designers from launching a blog or staying consistent with the blog? I mean, we know it's a lot of work, but yeah. what are some concerns you've heard? The, the biggest one I've heard is, is really just time. Most of the people I talk to are bursting with ideas. They have so many ideas. They have um, maybe a huge portfolio of images in Dropbox that crashes my computer. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't have the time to do anything with it. And that's, and I can, I can tell when I talk to them that they really want to, they're like, oh, this is so great. I really want to do something with it. And I just don't have the time. And my suggestion for that would be one to either set aside a full day to just plan your blog and start putting together some things in advance, some posts in advance. That way you can set calendar reminders, post it on the day you want. You'll have um, some images that you can add for social media. And then you feel like you're good to go in advance. If you can't do that, then consider delegating. Maybe you have someone on your team who could do it that you would trust or outsourcing. Um, really, that's, I think that's the only way to kind of tackle the time hurdle. Absolutely. And as far as the outsourcing, again, to everyone listening, Jacqueline is basically the only blogger out there for interior designers. I have spent a long time researching this because I've had so many requests from people saying, hey, can you write blog posts for me? And I'm like, mm, no, I just like, that's just not in my wheelhouse anymore. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad that you started your business because there is a huge gap in the market. So yeah, to everyone out there, you can try Googling someone else like Jacqueline, or you can just go check out Jacqueline's website because, because she has got this thing down pat. So, okay, quick question for you. Yes. 
If you have a designer who approaches you needing your blogging services, but let's say they don't have a huge portfolio and mm -hmm. or they do not have very many topic ideas, like do you still work with them or how do you handle that? Yeah, so, so for every client that I work with, we'll actually sit down and do an hour long or however much is needed of a planning session. And for that planning session, I will actually bring, um, I'll do SEO research in advance. So basically searching their specific demographic and what, um, what are some topics in their area or other competitors in their area, what people are searching that will pull them up. And then I can structure ideas around that. I can structure ideas around whether or not they'll be attending events such as High Point Market. And what we'll do is we'll go through all of the ideas and we'll basically create a content calendar so that we have a, a game plan going forward for the next three, six months, a year, whatever it happens to be. So if people don't have the content and they don't have the images, there's always a solution. You can always do something because you do have something interesting to say, even if you don't have even if you don't think you do, you do, I promise. Mm -hmm. um, and as far as images go, there's so many stock photo options. I'm constantly finding new photos that I'm so excited have been put on these stock photo websites. So that's really not a problem. Just don't use bad photos. We can talk about that later. But yeah, I love don't that use you bad photos. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, I love that you said you get excited when you find good photos because I yeah. am the same way. I'll download all of them and I'm just like, yeah. oh, it's like Christmas. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the new one. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when you are creating a content calendar for your clients, how many blog posts do you recommend per week or per month? Like, is there a magic number? Um, so bare minimum once a month. And I say bare minimum because that's really what it takes for search engines like Google to see that your site is being updated regularly and mark you as an active site. Because once you haven't touched it for a while, you kind of get dropped down the barrel because Google thinks, oh, maybe this person isn't in business anymore. There are others around them that are actively updating their sites. So they're probably in business. We're going to, we're going to move them up in the search results. Um, so once per month, absolute minimum. Two per month, I think for people who are really busy, makes the most sense because you're able to do um, social media marketing around the blog posts. You can add them to your newsletters. It helps with SEO. It's really kind of gets everything that you want out of it. If you're really a rock star, you can do it once per week and that would be amazing. But I think that's a little unrealistic for, for most people. Um, if you're blogging more than once per week, you're probably blogging for a living and maybe not an interior designer. <laughs> <laughs> Very good point. Yes. I don't know anyone who can do that. <laughs> yeah. Because it takes a lot of time to create a blog post. And this is not a question that I had sent you ahead of time, but just out of curiosity, how long does it take you as a, an experienced professional, how long does it take you to create a blog post? You know, I have been asking myself that question just for um, you know, being efficient. And it depends on the post, but most of them take me two to four hours. Oh my gosh. Yeah. See, and that's, okay. <laughs> and that's usually with, that's usually with the clients giving me the pictures in advance. But I also think I'm kind of an over editor. Like I, like it has to be perfect. I can't, I can't quit unless I'm in love with it. So mm -hmm. <laughs> sometimes I'm like, hmm, did I need this extra hour or was it fine before? but I, but I do it anyway. So, well, see, I think that you are spot on because I've looked at the things you've written for some of our mutual clients and 
not only does it flow really well, but the balance of the images and the text and, and the design insight that you add, it, I can tell that it takes a lot of time. And I want people to understand that when you work with someone on a ghost blogging basis, they are not like little word machines that just crank things yeah. out. I mean, this requires st strategy. It requires right. research and planning. So there is yeah. so much value in what you do. I just want to, to take a minute and let people really appreciate the fact that you are all involved in this. Right. Like there is, there is no such thing as only using half of your brain when you create a blog post. There's no such thing right. as writing a blog post in an hour so yeah, I just wanted to make sure everyone understands that. Well, the thing is too, there's, there's so much demographic stuff that goes into it. And also SEO, of course, which takes another uh, <laughs> section of your brain. But um, as far as demographic stuff, like I actually want to know, would someone in this area say something like this? So for example, just yesterday, I was writing a post for a client in Wisconsin and I wrote to my aunt, I texted her and was like, do people in Wisconsin say cornhole or beanbag toss? <laughs> I love <laughs> it. I need to know. Like, I need to use the right one. It's important. Otherwise, you're not, you're not really connecting with people. Mm -hmm. So, like, there's that whole added level of are you using the language that people in the area are using? And, of course, someone who's blogging for themselves will know that. But when you hire a ghost blogger, they don't necessarily know that. They actually have to go the extra mile to, to make sure that they are doing it. And maybe they miss one once in a while. But to really make that effort takes like I said, the added, the added effort and the added time. And maybe that's why it takes me two to four hours. Well, I'm so glad that you are thinking of it in that way because culture just across the U.S. changes so much, even from state to state. So yeah. yes, that completely makes sense. Yeah. And I have never, ever heard of a ghost blogger taking that approach. So that is another thing that makes you extremely unique. So that's off to you. Oh Thank my you gosh. Very much. Obsessive equals <laughs> <laughs> totally normal. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's get into the nitty gritty of a blog post. Okay. On average, what should the word count be? Because I've seen some blog posts that are literally like two sentences and you and mm -hmm. I both know that is not a blog post. That's more like a Facebook status update. Right. Yep. Um, so this one, I find this one hard to answer because it really depends on a lot of things. It depends on the post itself and the content, and it depends on the audience. So if you're thinking about the post, something that's more image-based, such as um, a review of an event like High Point Market or um, an update of styles that are trending for the summer, those don't need as many words because they're really, they're really going to be image-heavy. You want to have really pretty images from the event or from the upcoming style that really entices people. You can get away with 500 or so words. You should add commentary that's unique to you because obviously other people are writing about high point markets. Other people are writing about what's trending. So make sure it's still unique to your brand and your vision, um, but you can get away with less words, which actually makes those posts easy if you're in a time crunch. For other posts where they're more content rich, so if you're providing really detailed instructions or advice, those can get a little longer and that's okay. So for example, I just wrote a couple posts of my own on how to improve SEO with your blogging and they got pretty long. And so as I'm writing these, I'm like, man, am I writing a novel here or is this actually information people need? 
And I looked at it, I was like, no, people need this information. If they're actually looking at this to improve their SEO with blogging, they're gonna read to the end. They're going to want this information. And so it's okay that it's longer. The people who are just gonna skim it and don't want it, you're not writing for them anyway, it's okay. So if you're focusing on something that's really content specific, yes, absolutely include images. Don't, don't let me make you think that images aren't important in those posts, but you can get a little longer and it's okay. You don't need to panic about people not reading it. I love that. And I like how there's really not a hard and fast rule with blogging. It's very subjective. Mm -hmm. And what would you say though is like, oh, okay, that blog post is definitely too short or too long, just so we give people a little bit of a parameter. Um, too short, if you can post it on social media, then it's too short. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> too long, if someone can't read it in maybe five to six minutes, it's probably too long. Okay, I like it, yes. Yeah, because people don't have time yep. these days. People are skimming, and if it's, if it's information they need, they'll stop and look, but they're not going to read a novel for 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. So true, because I've seen this air in both directions. So I, I like that we can give people a little bit of a rule when it comes mm -hmm. to the length of a blog post. Yeah. Now, that aside, what is the anatomy of a successful blog post? I mean, is it all just like trying to put a paragraph, an image, a paragraph, mm -hmm. an image? Is there a little bit more strategy behind it? Um, again, it kind of depends on the post, but I think you, you really don't want too many blocks of text. If you look at it, if you're looking at it on your screen and you can only see text, you have a problem. There should always be an image somewhere in view. No, I'm serious. I know that sounds mean maybe, but <laughs> you, do, you don't ever want there not to be an image in the screen because if people see all text, it's kind of a, it's a little off-putting or a little aggressive. People might get a little scared of it. I, I might even get scared of it and that's just my job. But um, I think you definitely want image in view. As far as the anatomy goes, you should really break it up with headings. That, that's uh, important for SEO anyway, but you should have your main title. You should break up the content into headings if you can. If it's just um, a quick blog post with maybe six images of your favorite pieces from High Point Market, you probably don't need headings. That's, it's a short one, it's okay. But if you are making a longer one, you should break it up with headings and make them SEO savvy. Um, and then, yeah, I think that pretty much covers it. You need a call to action at the end. But I don't know if, that, if you would toss that into the anatomy category. Yeah, definitely. And I know my listeners have heard me talk about calls to action before. So just a reminder, guys, we often call it a CTA because we're lazy, or at least I am. <laughs> I don't always say call to action. But that is simply what you want your readers to do next after reading your blog post. So you put them in blog posts, social media posts, newsletters, different places on your website. If you don't put a call to action in that marketing piece, you're wasting valuable real estate. Mm -hmm. What yeah. are some good call to actions that you would suggest we use in our blog post? Um, so my, my thoughts there is that with any, with any blog post, you're creating an emotion in someone, whether it's excitement about these gorgeous images you just shared or a project you just completed or um, maybe you've given them some advice and they're feeling confident that they now have the, the tools to tackle their own project. Whatever emotion you're inspiring, your call to action should really play up on that because emotion inspires action. If you have no emotion, 
I don't, I don't think you're going to get any action. Mm-hmm. Um, so the two, the two actions that you most want to get are email capture and engagement. And for email capture, newsletter is a huge one. Um, I know you do that, Kate. And then I know that um, you've talked before about quizzes and how quizzes can use email capture as well. Mm-hmm. So whatever you are using on your site to attract people and get their emails, create something nice at the bottom of your post where you are compelling them to take that action, to sign up for the newsletter, to take this quiz, whatever it happens to be. The other option is engagement. And this one's a little bit harder because a lot of people, especially when they're starting out, won't have their audience commenting on their blog. And that's okay. You shouldn't expect that. If, if, it's, if you're not getting comments, it's really not a huge problem. Doesn't mean people aren't reading. Um, but to kind of engage people and get people to start commenting, you can ask a question at the end, like, do you have any um, concerns about the, the process for hiring a designer? Or what are your favorite trends from the summer of this year? That kind of thing. So it's really, it's really up to you, but I think your main goals should be email capture and engagement when you're coming up with your call to action. Mm-hmm. And I love what you said about email capture. I mean, obviously that's my obsession. I'm obsessed with email marketing, <laughs> but the cool thing is when you do that, when you put a call to action at the end of a blog post that gets someone to give you their email address, that makes that blog post a direct part of your sales funnel. And yep. It's huge. That means that you're not just producing blog content just to produce. You are actually contributing to the bottom line of your business. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're all here to do. I mean, there is no yeah. such thing as fluff content. That's not what we would ever want to put in our marketing. Hey, interior designers. How much time are you currently spending creating floor plans, furniture arrangements, or sourcing product, or creating mood boards? Well, here's the good news. You do not have to keep spending many, many precious hours of your time on these things that you could actually hand off to someone else. Now, I'm not suggesting that you hire an employee or that you add another person to your in-house team because that's not always a good fit for everyone. From a legal and tax standpoint, having an employee can be expensive and it can also be risky, which is why I am really excited to introduce you guys to my friend Brittany Elms of My Design Assistant. So Brittany specializes in virtual assistant services exactly and specifically for interior designers so that you can spend more time growing your business, your brand, and getting the publicity that you deserve without spending hours creating those mood boards or sourcing those products. Because we know these things are very important to your design process, but the good news is it doesn't all have to be done by you. So if you're ready to take your business to the next level and start outsourcing things that you don't necessarily have to have your hands in, go over to mydesignassistant.com, check out Brittany's services, her reviews, and book a time with her online. Head over to mydesignassistant.com to get started. Right. So let's move on a little bit more to the imagery and blog posts. Now, I know you mentioned earlier that you have some awesome stock photo resources, and I would Mm -hmm. love it if you could share those with our listeners. And then just some other standards to keep in mind, like never use this type of photo or always use this type. I'm interested Mm -hmm. in what you have to say. 
Yeah. So as far as photos go, you absolutely want the highest, the highest quality photo. One, because people are used to seeing it online. So if yours is even a medium quality photo, not even low, just in the middle ground, people notice. And that's unfortunate, which, which holds us to a higher standard. Um, as far as your project photos go, there's no compromise here. You need a high quality photo and you should absolutely hire a professional to take them because your project photos do almost as much for your business as word of mouth. Like they are selling for you. So put your best foot forward. Um, for other photos, if you have taken them yourself, most smartphones these days actually take amazing photos. So if you're able to get some of those that you like and that you feel confident about, go, go for it, use them. Um, if not, the stock photo sites that I really like are Unsplash is my favorite, unsplash.com, um, followed by pexels.com. It's P-E-X-E-L-S, mm -hmm. Pixabay, and Kaboom Pix. Maybe you can add this to the, the post whenever you... Um, yeah, I'll put it in the show notes it. for sure. Yeah, um, but those are, those are really good, and you can sort them easily in the search category. My suggestion there is it's really easy to just type in interior design or interior or living room. And you actually won't get as many um, results as you would think. So I would suggest approaching it from a more, even more specific approach, like pillows or granite or whatever, whatever you happen to be mm -hmm. writing about. Because um, I found the more specific you get and the more you test it out, you can actually find some hidden gems in there that don't pop up right away. Mm, yes. And we love those hidden gems. We <laughs> certainly do. <laughs> So going back to what you said about having people use their smartphones for photos, mm -hmm. I know that it's possible to get an add-on device or an accessory for your phone. It's kind of like mm -hmm. a wide-angle lens. Mm -hmm. I, I should really look up and link one of those in the show notes. So I'll do that for everyone listening. But do you have any tips as far as shooting with the iPhone or the Android? Anything to be aware of? Because... I know a lot of people will do the whole point and shoot, mm -hmm. but that's not always enough. And that's something that I'm always nagging my clients and customers yeah. about because when they put their images in Dropbox, I'm like, you know, I'm sorry, I can't use half of these. Yeah. Um, just some like really easy practices. Have you ever talked about the law of thirds? I haven't. You haven't. I know okay. all designers listening will totally understand. So, yeah. so when you're taking a photo, if you think of the screen as being cut into thirds uh, horizontally and vertically, you really want the focus, whatever, if it's an object or a home, whatever it happens to be, you really want it to be within two thirds of the photograph. So a lot of times I'll see client photos where they're right in the middle and it's not, it's not bad, but it's not artfully done. If that makes any sense. Yeah, totally. um, so I really suggest if, if that law of thirds didn't make sense, how I just explained it, Google it. There's so much out there. Mm -hmm. um, and then as far as lighting goes, lighting is also one that I see a lot. You never want yellow lighting. It ends up being really off-putting. Like even, even really blue lighting is better. And it's not the best, of course. You want something that's right in the middle. But um, even blue lighting is better than yellow lighting. Mm -hmm. Try not to take photos into the sun. <laughs> <laughs> rookie mistake. <laughs> rookie mistake. 
Um, and then there's actually this really cool feature on iPhone on the, I think it's on the newer ones. I'm not, I'm not sure which version they started it with, but it's this feature where you click portrait and you can focus on something nearby and it blurs the background. And it's really, it takes amazing photos. And I feel like a professional photographer when I use it, even though I'm not a professional photographer, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, I really, I really like it. Everyone should know about it. <laughs> what is it called? It's so if you're scrolling through the bottom of your photo app where, you know, it has like panoramic, square, whatever, it's called portrait. Oh, okay. And, I'm going to put that in the show notes just because yeah. people need to know. <laughs> yeah. And so basically it takes, it, it focuses on a nearby image, image and blurs the background. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Really cool. I like really it. Really cool. Yeah. <laughs> I always feel like such a goof when after months of owning a phone, I'm like, I didn't know I could do this. Like, it's a whole new world. (laughs) Me too. too. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. If it happens to us and we are obviously running online businesses, I'm sure it's happening to other people too. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So we've already talked about then where people can find stock photos if they don't have enough of their own. And, um, oh, I will say right now, if you hear a dog panting in the background, my German shepherd just walked in the room and uh, my life is chaotic. chaotic. (laughs) (laughs) So anywho, um, let's move on to SEO. How can we make sure that blog posts we publish are actually being found by Google? Because we know that's like a huge part of it. Right. So this is a huge topic and we could actually do an entire 30 minute conversation on this alone, but for the sake of not forcing anyone to maybe fall asleep here, (laughs) um, I will say that the best thing to do is one, know your target audience, because once you know that you can go into Google, you can type in um, the, maybe the unique problems that your clients are facing, things that are unique to your target audience, and you can figure out what's coming up in Google, what are related searches, what's autofilling. You can actually compare, um, there's a a portion of Google, I think it's trends.google.com, where you can actually compare words. So I did a test where I compared the words target client to ideal client, and I found out that target client is used way more often than ideal client. So I'm gonna use that because that's what people are typing in. So you can kind of do these little tests with just simple words that relate to your target audience, to more appeal to what people are typing into Google. You can also run your headlines, uh, your title and your headlines through, there's a a nice tool called CoSchedule Headline Analyzer, and you can see how they're ranking for SEO. Other things you can do, um, labeling images is a big one, or adding, um, it's called alt text. I explained this in the blog post. It's kind of technical, so maybe people can go there to read it. Mm-hmm. But um, basically, Google can't see images, so you have to label them in a way that they can read. So it's the file name. Um, so especially if you get a photo from stock images, it has the photographer's name in the, the file. You want to put in your business and what, your, what the picture is about, how it relates to your target audience, Um, so that when Google reads it, they're connecting that image to you. Yes. Um, yes, That is huge. And, and for everyone listening, I've talked about this a little bit before, especially when I do episodes about website design. So it's alt text or it's sometimes called a meta tag. And 
and Jacqueline's actually totally right. So all you've got to do is name the file exactly what that image is about or something about your company or your target client so that Google can see it because Google doesn't actually have eyes. It can only read. Mm -hmm. It's blind. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah, so it's super important to do that. And that is one big thing. Well, honestly, SEO in general is a big thing that a lot of design bloggers forget about. And I love that you mentioned using the headline analyzer tool because mm -hmm. that is something that I used to use all the time and now I just use it for you know, my own business. But it makes writing headlines so much easier. And I don't know if this happened to you, Jacqueline, but after I started using it for about a month, I started writing really good headlines on my own. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it certainly helps with, I mean, of course you learn from from how they're, how they're scoring all of your ideas. You learn which ones are, are doing well, of course. Um, the only thing I do wanna add is that sometimes being so focused on getting a high score on the co-schedule headline analyzer can stifle creativity a bit. Like, mm -hmm. like you really, you want it to be SEO savvy, but if you're obsessing about it and all of a sudden your title has gotten a little far away from who you think your target audience is and what your post is about, it's not, it's not worth it. <laughs> yep. You know, like you don't want to compromise the quality and the engaging aspect of your headline just for SEO. Mm, so yes. it's kind of a balancing game. So I'm, play with it and learn from it, mm -hmm. but also don't be a slave to it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because there have been a few times where I was trying to analyze a blog post title and yeah, it was totally cramping my style. Yeah. <laughs> at a certain point, I was like, you know what? Screw you, headline analyzer. I'm going to make an executive decision here. Yeah, so, sometimes you have to do it. Yeah, sometimes you have to. And just kind of go with your gut instinct. I mean, yeah. if it scores a 70 or higher, it literally gives you a, a green light. Like, it will light up green. Yeah. But when you read it, if it's just really not the vibe you want to put out there, then adjust it. And if you get yeah. your score dropped down to somewhere in the, like, the mid-60s, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to yeah. die. I never, I never go lower than 60. That's kind of my, that's my low. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't want anything lower than that, but yeah, yeah, I think, I think that's good. I think people can really benefit from using the tool and, and letting them be creative at the same time. Absolutely. So after someone has either worked with you or they have done this themselves and they've spent hours and hours on a blog post, do they just publish it and leave it on their site or is there more they should do with it? Yeah. So they should absolutely, absolutely do social media around it. I mean, you, technically your blog post should be part of your entire marketing strategy. So you can even post on social media about your blog post multiple times in one week. Just add a different a different um like little caption or uh what do you want to call it? like a hook to get people interested mm -hmm. but you can keep posting it it's okay because stuff gets lost in people's feeds so quickly so use it over and over again don't beat it to death but like you can make the most of it um instagram's a good place facebook's a good place um twitter's a good place you can even post it on house actually um, I have a couple clients that are doing that because there's a section where you can add posts. Um, and LinkedIn as well. LinkedIn is one that I would not, LinkedIn and house, I would not post multiple times. It's more Instagram and Facebook that you can get away with it. Um, and then you can add it to your newsletter if you want to put a 
little space at the bottom that says on our blog this month or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can also recycle it months later if it's still relevant content. It's never let it die because you really, blog posts take time and you worked hard on it. So people should see it and you should do what you can to get it out there. Yes. I mean, writing a blog post is not a one and done deal. It is actual marketing collateral. And Mm -hmm. as with any collateral, you don't just let it collect dust. So I love those tips. Okay. So we've talked a little bit about the helpful online tools that people can use if they decide to write their own blog. So Mm -hmm. let's just review those. And then I want you to tell me if we left anything out. Okay. So you talked about the stock photo sites and mm-hmm. the headline analyzer and yeah. gave some awesome tips on word count parameters and image standards. Is there anything else that someone would need to know before starting a design blog or any other tools that would be helpful mm-hmm. to them? Um, as far as other tools goes, um, I really like Google Console. Have you heard of it? Yeah, but let's yeah. explain it. Yeah, so Google Console is, well, one, it helps you register your site with Google so they know that you own the site and that it is a legitimate site. So that's always a good thing. Mm -hmm. Second, you can actually go into their analytics and you can see what people are using in the search function in Google to find your website. It can tell you um, the keywords they're using. It tells you whether they clicked. It tells you what um, position you were in. So if you're in position four, you're probably on the first page. If you're in position 104, you're probably further down the list and not getting seen (laughs) with those keywords. So the reason I really like that, and I think actually Squarespace Analytics um, helps a little bit with that too, depending on whether you've set it up. Mm -hmm. But I really like this because when people are thinking, oh, what are my specific SEO keywords that are unique to my target client that I should be using in my blog posts? This is a great way for some freebies. They have them for you already. So go in there, take a look, see if they resonate with you. Sometimes maybe they don't. Maybe it has nothing to do with you and you're just popping up randomly. Don't use those, obviously. Um, But it can give you some that are really great. So it's worth checking out. Yeah, I love that because I tend to forget about Google Console which mm-hmm. means I have never brought it up on the podcast before. So thank you. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> oh my goodness. We have covered so many juicy tips and topics in this show. So I am really glad that you were able to take time and be with us today. So thank you so much, Jacqueline. Thank you. This was fun. I, and of course, I love our chats. <laughs> oh, yes, obviously. I mean, we talk for hours when we can finally find a time that works for both of us and I spare all of our listeners though (laughs) yeah (laughs) we won't record our entire conversation (laughs) but yeah I mean it's difficult because I'm in Wisconsin you are in Europe and there's a huge time difference but yeah yeah, I'm glad that we make it work yeah so where can my listeners find you what's the best way for them to get in touch with you um okraandbeige.com is a great place to find me Ochre is spelled O-C-H-R-E, um, or just jedwards at ochreandbeige.com if you want to shoot me an email. It's also fine. Perfect. And guys, if you head over to her website, you can check out sample blog posts that she has put up so that you can get a feel for her writing style. And she has awesome blog posts from her own company that teach you about SEO and everything blogging. So at the very least, sign up for her newsletter because I guarantee you're going to learn a ton from it. 
And guys, that wraps up our episode on blog posts. So make sure you go check out Jacqueline's site. And of course, let me know at katethesocialite.com if you would like to see different guests and different topics on the show. Until next time, guys, we will talk at you later. And Jacqueline, thank you so much. And we'll chat a little bit more. Thanks. Thanks for listening to The Kate Show. Please hit the subscribe button and share this episode with a business bestie who needs to grow her interior design or home staging firm. To inquire about our products and services, please visit us at katethesocialite.com. Until next time, keep your marketing simple and your message clear.